Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Greg Schneider. Greg is the president of Battle Tested Solutions, LLC, a security consultancy focused on delivering security management strategies, intelligence planning, and tactical response training to domestic and global clientele. Greg brings 30 years of experience in military, security, and law enforcement operations garnered from service in Israel and the United States. He served in the Israeli Defense Forces in a prestigious combat unit. Upon his release from military service, Greg was selected for specialized training in operations in executive protection, intelligence, and security management under the auspices of the Israeli Ministry of Defense. Greg has also served in a law enforcement capacity for the New York City Department of Investigations and held numerous positions across the security landscape. Greg, welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. Uh, Thank you, Fred. I'm honored to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. Greg, uh, we tend to ask each guest, how the heck did you get in the field of protection? Well, <laughs> that goes way on back, even from my days as a, as a child. I think I was influenced by a lot of the 1970s cop shows. Hold on, hold on. Which ones? Oh, I could go on. from All of them. Starsky and Hutch, Beretta, Chips. And I guess the, the, the idea of uh, even emergency, um, of being a, a, a protector, a rescuer, I don't know, kind of appealed to me. And then you also hear some stories from my grandfathers in World War II and all that kind of stuff. Um, had some influence and this led me in that path. Even in, in high school, I was a lifeguard and then interned at the New Haven Police Department in my senior year in high school in crime analysis. So started like quite young and then went on from there. Your background is very impressive. You lo- you've led criminal investigations for crimes directed against the New York City Housing Authority to managing VIP protective details to protective work in the Jewish community. What has been the most challenging as you look back on your career? I would say looking at even my current roles and positions in protecting a, a number of the Jewish communities here in the Bay Area and elsewhere, um, that, that's perhaps my bigger challenge uh, because there's not one place is like the other. Yeah, it's always been a challenging environment operating in that space. Tell us a little bit about your investigative work. Uh, what resources and skills have you found most helpful? Going back to my I say investigative times really came out of more from my research. I cut my teeth under uh, Professor Yon Alexander as a, I guess, intelligence analyst, research intern long ago. Legend, a, a legend in the business. He is actually the grandfather of real ter- terrorism research. In, uh, and in Israel, like in, during my experiences in, in the military and other places, um, I got some good hands-on understanding and experience on 
this is read people, read situations, and kind of get a good understanding of individuals' intentions. Um, but I do have to say, when I, I moved back to New York briefly and worked for the New York State Department of Investigations, I had you know different types of skill sets kind of honed in terms of if I'm working with a lot of people and recruiting informants and following up on leads and using open source information to our closed sources, of course. And yeah, so it's the, it, uh, at the New York City Department of Investigations is a little, a little different in terms of there it's, you know, we're looking for evidence in other positions. When you do a quote unquote investigation and you're looking for intelligence, it's just kind of different rules apply. When you look back, uh, on your time, Greg, with uh, Prof- Professor Alexander, what was the biggest thing you learned from him? Well, really, it's about like the the, the, the connections. The it's really the people you meet. Um, though you know he's, he was quite the academic. When we would hold these conferences, there are people from like a lot of the intelligence agencies would show up, and they, like, and he knew everybody. I remember I was like this, like twenty twenty years old, twenty one years old as the Soviet Union kind of imploded and the fear was about a nuclear proliferation and rogue states getting their hands on nuclear technology. This is something of discussion. And I remember in our little group, we had Edward Teller, who's worked on the Manhattan Project. Yeah. He was there in the room. And, and, wow. Wow. And, and, uh, and so uh, I learned from Professor Alexander the importance of like, you getting to know people and listening and and for me, uh, uh, you know, usually, you know, in this business, you start tactical and you make your way to some type of strategic position over the years. I kind of started on this like strategic understanding and geopolitics and uh, and, and terrorism and uh, then went to the tactical route. You know, that's an amazing career when you look back and think about those kinds of influences on your life. Uh, now, as you look today, what are some of the main challenges your firm helps address? You know, right now there's, unfortunately in America, um, there's been an uptick in anti-Semitic crime for a number of years, and and majority of my clients are uh, symbolic Jewish targets, from businesses to temples and community centers and schools. And with the internet, you know, there's so much information, and so. Some of the challenges is if someone gets an alert of a potential activity that may happen or a threat, and sometimes that threat isn't so verified, but it gets blown up out of proportion. People panic, deploy a number of like security and protective measures where it wasn't so necessary. Other cases, there are things where certain times uh, organizations don't take them seriously enough and then get spooked out when something close to their community happens. Greg, you have your ear on the ground when it comes to this kind of threat matrix. Uh, What trends are you seeing as it affects the Jewish community and the protection of Jewish facilities? You know, the the threat vectors come from a number of areas. We have threats that come from the left uh, of the political spectrum, or the radical left of the political spectrum, where they identify Jewish houses of worship or symbolic Jewish organizations as valid 
targets for abuse, harassment because of, well, maybe that organization has connections to Israel or with uh, because of the success of many Jewish businessmen and women and, and businesses, well, there must be capitalists so, and greedy and, and step on the necks of others. So that makes them a legitimate target for such abuse. And we, then we have it from the right wing, which has been quite documented for a long, long time, where they think, well, no, the, those Jews, they just want to, they want to make this a communist state and a, a nanny state. And they're looking to take money out of your pockets and, and, and put out such horrible rhetoric. Unfortunately, many of those right-wing extremists uh, use more violent uh, means, and so um, we've seen we've seen that uh, recently. And we have different religious extremists, of course, those from radical Islam or other even religions that target. So you know, it, it keeps on going. And then we have add race to the mix. Right now, I'd say like the geopolitical issue. Right now, as we're speaking, there are rockets getting fired into Israel, and Israel's retaliating between Gaza and Israel with the Islamic Jihad. So groups, of, those various groups I mentioned now, may take this opportunity and say, oh, oh, oh let's look at these, this uh, Jewish temple over here. Oh, yeah, they must be behind this as well. Let's go you know, uh, graffiti their place, vandalize it. And this is unfortunately what's often being done. Yeah, obviously no shortage of uh, threats in this space. I, As you were talking, I was hearkening back to my days when I was a counterterrorism agent and I worked on the Rabbi Meyer Kahani assassination and uh, certainly looked at the Rabin assassination and, and others targeting uh, the Jewish community. And, uh, you know, you look at this from a historical perspective, uh, you've got a very tough job. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Antec's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Antec Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontech.co slash center. That's ontech.co slash center. Switching gears for a second, uh, I know you've managed and put together uh, international security operations, projects literally all over the world, from Israel to Europe, Africa, Mexico, and the United States. Talk a little bit about that, the challenges of working in the international environment, and what are some of the obstacles or lessons you've learned in, in operating in that arena? Yeah, each, let's say even continent or country, has its own challenges and roles. You know, like Africa, for, for that, um, that, that was a challenge. That was actually in South Sudan. It was a long ago, actually, and uh, before South Sudan was South Sudan, and I had to be on my be on my toes, so to speak, in terms of managing where all the threats are coming from. And I worked with multiple partners on that one. 
but sometimes it's it's like you know in order to protect the lives of your principals you know the uh local authorities may not be the best option and you have to account for certain contingencies and i remember from that detail after it was all said and done you know everybody was safe the only big risk was on the flight back when the, there was a volcano uh, erupted in Hawaii <laughs> and then just you know disrupted uh traffic so kind of go fly around the world <laughs> right i decided to get back home you know ma- maintaining good the good relations understanding the cultures of different places making sure the clients understand different cultures and and as i'm sure as you know like especially if it's even a country like in, in france it's, it's true for decades now it's not like uh, the the red uh, the uh, a terrorist group or something is going to pop up and and start bombing or targeting your principal or the surrounding areas like they did in the early eighties, but it's, the risk is going to be more from like a labor strike or something. Greg, tell me about spy legends. I know that you're an active contributor to that. What is that? So spy legends came about uh, a few years ago. It was founded by Av, Avi Avner, who was in the Mossad for many, many years. And uh, it was his uh, brainchild, if you will. And so he started uh, in, inviting out or inviting to the spy legends a number of intelligence professionals from Israel and security professionals from Israel and, other, and abroad as well uh, and from other countries and kind of as like a speaker's bureau type of thing. Some of the content that I will put out is discuss, let's say, you know, how to build an intelligence network <laughs> or um, looking into what what are the elements of a ter- even a terrorist network. Because it's not just the bad guy at the end of the day, you know, shooting, yelling something. It's, you know, they have support, logistics, financing, really breaking down the elements of a terrorist network. And then I speak to also like how on the counterterrorism side of things, sometimes uh, you have those same elements. Greg, looking back, uh, what lessons did you learn from your time in the IDF? Well, you know, it pays to you know, train hard, train and prepare, and having you know, team unity. Israel's often in the news, and in their 75 years, have had a number of military victories. Um, but what I think really holds the glue together is like you have people from all different walks of life, as in any military, really, but really all walks of life, different levels of Jewish observancy, or some are maybe not even Jewish, could be Druze, even Bedouins that serve, and you just have this good sense of like team. And you know, when you're in a, in a combat unit, it's not like you go to basic training and you go off to a different unit. No, you're still with the same guys for like a year and a half in some cases. And you stay within your command for the time of your service in most cases. And also like you get put a lot of challenges at a young age. So like, you know, you could be a you know a, a sergeant in the US military at 27, 28 with you know, you're 10 years, you know, 10 years in. You know, someone that goes a professional soldier in Israel, ten years in, is most often an officer. <laughs> Twenty years old, you may just may be a you know, a major <laughs> at that age or a lieutenant colonel. So um, you, you get put with a lot of uh, responsibilities at, at, a, at a young age. There, yeah, most certainly. I think uh, 
We've both been fortunate to have stood on the shoulders of giants over the years. Is there anything that I haven't asked you, Greg, that you would like to say? Just on, on the intelligence side of things is you know, how we get our information. Um, this is not specific to me or I'm just saying for all of us in our industry. Um, with the advent of AI technology and all these, like the, the speed of light reports and understanding and open source reporting, like to really verify and validate what you're seeing is really, really true, is, is becoming, it's becoming easier to manipulate and harder to verify. You know, so th- that's something which, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, say changes, but also if harking back to, my time with uh, Professor Alexander, that the, the human connection, that having that human intelligence is still always going to be so super critical. Very well said, Greg. Well, thank you so much for being on the Ontic Protective Intelligence podcast today. It was, it was my pleasure. And I was honored to speak with you. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.